Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, thank you so much for who you are. And God, as we've just witnessed and watched, we do give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for you are the one who's high and lifted up. And your name is the name above all names, Father God. We thank you so much for how wonderful and powerful and mighty you are. We join with creation. And God, we give you praise and we give you glory. And God, in light of how powerful and mighty and strong you are, we also give you praise for what you have done by redeeming mankind to yourself. By giving of your son, by his shed blood on the cross, we thank you that not only are you mighty and not only are you strong and powerful, but you are merciful and loving and gracious. And we give you praise, your people. We lift you up and we give you praise. Now, Holy Spirit, guide us into truth and into wisdom. And may you teach us from your word what you want for us to hear this morning. Pierce our hearts, change our lives, and may you be glorified by what is said and what is sung and what is thought in this place. Change us from the inside out. Oh, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm really glad that you're here this morning. I'm really glad that you have chosen to uh, join with us and uh, wanted to uh, begin by asking you a question. How many of you have been a part of something from the beginning, like your pioneers in something? Maybe it's in your past, maybe it's recently. Raise your hands up high. Okay, there you go. A lot of you have been a part of that. There's a tremendous, you can put your hands down. There's a tremendous amount of joy that goes along with that, isn't there? Being a part of, of something from the beginning, you know, maybe it was uh, being a part of, uh, you know, you, you bought the first home in a neighborhood. That's risky, isn't it? I mean, you know, like, man, we don't know what is going to happen here, but we're buying the first home. We're going to be the risk takers. Maybe you helped start a business. Maybe when you raised your hand, you were like, yeah, it didn't go very well. <laughs> maybe you, um, you know, were a part of a, of a church, and there are some of you in here who've been a part of this church from the beginning. Uh, maybe you were the first person um, to jump on the bandwagon with a particular sports team, and you know you were the you were the pioneers. Um, I love pioneers. I love entrepreneurs. I love the whole idea. I don't know about you of newness and and a fresh start, and that just like for some reason just speaks to me just uh, in in so many different ways. I love watching uh, something new take place and then grow into fruition. Imagine with me what it would have been like if you and I were part of the very first group of people who called themselves in the first century followers of the way. Imagine what it would have been like if you and I had been a part of that very first group of people who were the church. Over these next few weeks in this series that we're entitling All In, we're going to be taking a look at really a pivotal passage in the book of Acts, 
Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And in it, in the second chapter, we find this passage. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there, and uh, you, can, you can read along with me here in a moment. We find this passage in the book of Acts, chapter 2, where the first church really comes together. Now, here, here's what's happened up to this point, just to give you a little context of what is going on in the history of the church. Jesus has come. He lived on the earth. He spent 30 years here. He spent three years of his life doing ministry and doing these miracles. And he had all of these people who were followers. They were called disciples. And so they followed him literally everywhere uh, he went. He was a rabbi. In fact, there's kind of a phrase uh, called uh, dust on the sandals. And uh, dust on the sandals was really meant for those people who followed a rabbi so closely that literally the dust from that rabbi would kick up and land on their sandals. And so he had these followers, and we think of it as 12, but there were many, many more than just 12. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes to the cross And he dies a brutal death on the cross. And three days later, they roll away that that stone uh, from the tomb where Jesus was placed. And he's gone. And if you can imagine being one of his followers at this point in time, you're pretty hopeless. You're pretty helpless. But God in his sovereignty, God in his wisdom, knew that we, the church, his people, would need someone to lead and guide. So he sent the Holy Spirit down, and we read that in the first chapter of Acts, how the Holy Spirit came on the church, and it was an amazing time. And in 2015, at some point in time, we're going to be doing a message series on the Holy Spirit and what that means to us today. But it was an amazing thing. And at this point in the course of human history, at this point in the course of the church, God was doing remarkable things. I mean, things that never have taken place since. And and all the great awakenings that Europe experienced and America experienced uh, kind of pales in a comparison with what God was doing in the first century with this group of people who now switched from Judaism largely to following Jesus Christ. It was an amazing time. And I, I don't know about you, I wonder what it would have been like if we had been there. Uh, Take a look at this passage from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. I want to read this passage, and it's going to be our springboard passage that we're going to look at over the course of the next few weeks. And they devoted themselves, this group of people, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, it's hard for us 2,000 plus years later to understand what was going on during that time. But I want to tell you, there was a tremendous amount of passion and commitment that was going on among these people, wasn't there? There was a tremendous amount of passion and commitment that they had, and they had that passion and commitment largely because they saw God at work in an amazing, remarkable, extraordinary way. But they also had the passion and commitment for what God was doing because they made a decision to be passionate and commitment about the things of God. 
We talk a lot about passion and commitment in our society, don't we? And we talk about this whole idea of, of passion and commitment, and we, you know, we have certain holidays uh, around July the 4th. We become passionate and committed to what? Patriotism, to America, right? We celebrate the birth of our country, and there's a lot of passion and commitment. In Veterans Day, we celebrate those who uh, really have gone before and, and actually who have served in our military. And Memorial Day, we celebrate and remember those who have gone on before and who have died for service to our country. And so we have this passion and commitment for our country. We, we also have other passion and commitments. Um, we have passion and commitment when it comes to athletics. I mean, college football is about ready to start, right? And we are committed and passionate about our team. Go George Bulldogs. All right, me and one other person. Sweet. I feel in good company here. Anyway, and so we're passionate and commitment about a sports team or about an athletic event. And listen, I get it. Parents, it's surprising, isn't it? When your kids start getting into sports, how passionate and committed you become about their sport. Like I never dreamed in a million years that I would be that parent on the soccer field, but I want to tell you, as your pastor, there have been times that I was that parent on the soccer field, screaming, screaming for my kid to do well and go score a goal. So much so that Cynthia had to say, hey, honey, remember, you're a pastor. Uh, so I'm right there with you. I get it in a million years. I never thought that would happen. No, I never thought that would happen. And we become passionate. We become committed to our kids and to their athletics. And you know, about once a year, we become passionate and committed about diet and exercise, don't we? And we spend all of January in the gym. And then February rolls around and we're done, right? You know, that's it. I had passion and commitment for a month. I'm good. I'm good to go for the year. I'm done. And we have passion and we have commitment about our bodies and about exercise and that sort of thing. And we speak of all kinds of different passion and commitment that we have towards our family, towards our friends, towards our, our careers and maybe our academic pursuits. And all of those things that I just mentioned are all good. You realize not one of them is bad. Not one thing in the list that I just mentioned is bad. Here's the challenge and here's the problem, and here is the obstacle that I as a pastor am praying for us as a church. This isn't a me and you thing. This is an us thing to solve. Our level of passion towards all of these good things in life often supersedes the things that God wants us to be passionate and committed towards. You see, God in his infinite wisdom established this thing called the church, the bride of Christ. And his desire for our lives, those of you who call yourselves Christ followers, I'm speaking to you over the course of these next few weeks those of you who may be searching or not know or whatever, uh, I, I pray and I hope that maybe there's something that you can take away uh, along the way. But this is a, a message series that's really directed towards those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. Listen, God wants us to, to have other interests. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, I love to play golf. I don't get to do it enough. But I, I love my Georgia Bulldogs, Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Braves, any team from the state of Georgia other than the Yellow Jackets. I'm good with, okay? So, like, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to, to have passion and commitment towards those things. But God desires that we are passionate and committed towards something greater. 
And that thing that he wants us to be passionate and committed towards is the church, the bride of Christ. So over these next few weeks, I want us to discover what that means. This past spring, I I really um, uh, asked God to to give me a fresh uh, vision for what I believe that he um, wants for our church. And I asked him to um, really inspect my heart as the lead pastor and, and he revealed a couple things to me um, personally, but he revealed a couple things corporately that I believe that we um, as a church need to, to work on. And one of the things that was evident and clear to me was is that we have this great mission statement. Some of you um, know it very well. We talk a little bit about it here and there. Um, it is to passionately, there's that word, passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him. It's a fantastic mission statement. It's basically a restating of the Great Commission. Uh, how much better can that be if we're stating the mission of the church, right? From Matthew chapter 28. But along with that, I became convicted that we don't have a strategy to accomplish that. Like, how are we going to accomplish that? I don't know. It'll just happen. And it will just happen with the power of God. But I believe he wants us to use our minds. And so over the course of those next few weeks and months, God began to really solidify kind of a four-stage strategy or environments, if you will, that I believe that we as a church can use to help accomplish our mission. And we're going to be discovering those over these next few weeks. There's the strategy of worship and what that means. We'll talk about that today. The strategy of grow and spiritual growth, the strategy of serve and service in our community and internally with each other, and then play. Don't you love that? where we get together and we just enjoy each other's company as a church. And I believe that these environments, these different strategies are both biblical and I believe that they're God-breathed and our leadership team has joined in, elder staff, stewardship team has joined in and they're excited about this. And I can't wait to unwrap some of this, but it means that you and I both need to be committed. We need to be all in. And so we're going to be discovering what that means over the next few weeks and really the next few months. And so I'm going to be challenging you. I'm going to be stirring it up in your heart. And I pray that God's Holy Spirit would lead and direct and guide those of you who have been a part of our church for a while, or maybe those of you, this is your first time that, man, this is the place I need to be all in, or maybe it's not. And both of those answers are okay answers. Because I believe that God calls us to commitment when it comes to his bride, the church, the bride of Christ. Now, I want to do this before we even dive in. I want to dispel maybe some unhealthy thinking or some unhealthy kind of uh, directions that you may go. Because I know that I would go here too um, if I were you. And so there's a couple things that that I'm going to ask you to do over these next few weeks. Number one, I'm going to ask you to be here on Sundays when you're here. And actually, the first point that I'm going to talk about this morning is kind of directed towards that. But I'm going to ask you to be here because it's not going to make sense if you're here for like, you know, one Sunday um, and then you miss the next. So I'm going to ask you to be here over the next four weeks. The other thing that I'm going to ask you to do is to avoid the tendency to make this about someone else. Like when you hear what I'm talking about, you go, oh, man, Julie needs to hear that. You know, John, man, that's for him. He needs to hear that. If you're Julie and John, I'm sorry, I wasn't pointing you out, but just those are the names I picked randomly. But like, that's our tendency, isn't it? Like, that's our tendency. You know, like when, when we hear something from God's word, we just go, oh, that's about them. And when we do that, what do we do? We don't allow it to be personal in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to make it personal 
Avoid the tendency to think that it applies to everyone else except for you. The other thing that I'm going to ask you to do, even for those of you who all are already all in when it comes to Hilton Head Island Community Church, I'm going to ask you for these next four weeks to assume for a moment, to assume for this period of time, that you're not all in in every area. Because I believe when we do that, when we suspend that for a moment, then we can really find out the areas of our lives that we're not all in. And God can reveal that to us. And the other thing that I'm going to ask you to do over these next few weeks is to avoid the idea that somehow I'm asking you not to be all in with Jesus by asking you to be all in with his church. And I know there may be a, uh, among some of you the tendency to go, man, Todd, you're asking us to be all in about the church, and I need to be all in about Jesus. Well, good for you. I agree with that. And when you are all in with the bride of Christ, you are all in with Jesus, right? Because this is his bride. This is his precious church. And so when we have a commitment to the church, then I believe we also have a commitment to him. Are you with me this morning? And so avoid the tendency to think that you can split hairs in terms of this. I am excited over these next few weeks to just be kind of unpacking some of this, but I want it to be personal. I want each of us to find ways to make it intensely personal over the course of these next few weeks. I want to begin this morning by talking about this aspect of worship, our first strategy. How do we accomplish that mission? Well, first and foremost, we do it in worship environments. We do it through the strategy of worshiping together. And we're here today, we're here to worship God. And at Hilton Head Island Community Church, uh, there is a lot of freedom in worship, isn't there? There, there's a tremendous amount of freedom. Listen, um, I, I'm, I'm the type of guy, I grew up Presbyterian. This is how I learned how to worship. Like, you know, that's just the way that it is, okay? Some of you learned how to worship like this. There is a wide umbrella here at our church to worship. And those are things that have to do with personal worship. But what I'm talking about here is not just personal worship, it's corporate worship. How do we act? How do we behave? What do we do when we come together in a worship environment, particularly on Sunday mornings, but also students on Sunday nights, as we're beginning to put some elements of worship into Sunday nights with our students, and even some of our different environments like Ignite for our fourth and fifth graders, and even down the road, the possibility of us maybe even this fall doing a service or two for a different group of people who are kind of ignored on this island. And so we're excited about some possibilities there. But I'm going to be talking about today personal worship. I'm going to be talking about corporate worship as opposed to personal worship. We've talked about personal worship a lot. What does God's word have to say about how we worship with our lives, not just our voices, but our lives? That's what, not what we're talking about. We're talking about gathering together. And so what I want to do today is find out what are some characteristics of being all in when it comes to worship. Three different things I want to point out today. Number one... The characteristic of being all in includes, number one, a consistent commitment to attend weekly worship. A consistent commitment to attend weekly worship gatherings. You know, when you are here on a regular basis, you are saying, I am all in. You're saying, I got it. I'm here. I want to be a part. You know, there's a couple things under that. Number one, we're urged to worship God together regularly. 
the Bible says that we should not avoid meeting together for worship. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. He says, let, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as, it, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, we're urged to gather together and not gathering together is discouraged in the New Testament. And let me tell you something. I realize it takes commitment for you to be here. It takes sacrifice. It even takes discipline. I'm aware that being here for many of you is a sacrifice. Some of you have made the decision to say, I am not going to work on Sundays. I don't care what my boss or what my company says. I'm not going to work on Sundays because I am committed to my church and to my God and to Jesus Christ. Good for you. I'm proud of you for making that commitment. It takes sacrifice. We should uh, worship together, and we're urged to do that by the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. Secondly, we learn and we apply biblical truths when we meet together. Listen, the, the, the Christians in that early church, the first thing it says is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now listen, there's nothing special about me. I promise you that. Just ask my family. There's nothing special about me except that we are studying God's word and there is something special and extraordinary about God's word, isn't there? It has the power to change your life and mine. And listen, when you miss that on Sundays, you miss out potentially on God doing something amazing in your life or in someone else's life. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on that. Colossians 3.16 speaks about this. The author Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. You see, corporate worship and teaching go together. Listen, I'll tell you that there are times, okay, I'm the primary communicator here, but there are times when God speaks to me more through the music and more through worship than he ever could with me listening to some guy talk. And I'm not so naive to think that there are some of you that are like that, that you are learning from the Holy Spirit and from God because of something that is sung, not something that is said. And some of you are like, then why do you talk? I'm the pastor. That's my job, right? <laughs> Thirdly, we enjoy and support each other when we meet together. Hebrews 10, 24. We stir up one another with love and good works. And so my question to you this morning, in terms of gathering together for worship, is have you made the firm commitment to regularly attend Hilton Head Island Community Church? I mean a firm commitment. Like, we are going to be here. When we are in town, we are going to be here. When, when we're in town, regardless of what's happened in the week past, we're going to be here. Uh, some of you I know, you're like, Todd, that's easy for you to say it's your job. Uh, my alarm goes off at 5.30 on Sundays. Do you think that I like getting up at 5.30? Uh, let me dissuade you of any kind of thought that I enjoy getting up. I'm not happy at 5.30 in the morning, like most of you are not happy. It takes me a while to get happy in the morning. And if it were just my job, I'd show up at 9.30 and give a little sermonette 10 minutes long, and we'd go to lunch early. 
And some of you are like, go for it, man. Try that once. See how that works out. That'd be great. It is not easy for the Cullen family to get here. It's not any easier for you than it is for me. Cynthia gets here between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. That is definitely not easy for a musician who is a night person, I promise you. It is hard. It takes sacrifice, and we've built that in, not because it's our job, but because we are committed to you and this church, and we love what God is doing in our midst. Have you made the firm commitment to regularly attend Hilton Head Island Community Church? Even after a rough week, even after the Georgia Bulldogs beat the Clemson Tigers and you're ticked off about it. Go dogs again. Okay. The night before, it's been a rough night because your team lost and you say, I think we're just going to stay in bed this morning. Make a commitment to Christ and his church through your attendance and through your regularly committed attendance. Point number two, a characteristic, a characteristic of being all in in terms of worship is promoting unity when we gather to worship within the body of Christ. First Peter talks about it. He tells us to express love towards others, and we should express love towards others at Hilton Head Island Community Church through our actions. Peter says this in verse 8 in chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. It's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> That's the kind of worship environment that we should have. And listen, if you're here today and your past church experience, maybe growing up or maybe you know, earlier in your life, uh, was everything the opposite of this, I really, seriously, am so sorry that you had that kind of experience. Because Peter tells those of you who are Christians, myself included, that we are supposed to act in a way that has unity of mind, that we're all on the same page, that we are sympathetic with brotherly love, that we act in sympathy and empathy towards each other, a tender heart and a humble mind. And I realize that some of you are like, whatever the opposite of all of those phrases are is my experience growing up. And on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry that you had that experience because it should be what we read here in 1 Peter. And we, those of you who are Christians, you have the responsibility and the opportunity to do just that. You have the opportunity to act with sympathy, with unity of mind, with brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble, a humble mind. Secondly, being committed to unity means that we engage in conversation that is uplifting that is uplifting and encouraging. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Listen, we have a responsibility to speak words that help as opposed to words that harm. And finally, we should refuse to participate in gossip. We should refuse to participate in gossip Proverbs has so much to say about gossip. Take a look at just a few things that Proverbs has to say. Proverbs 20, verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, 
Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. <laughs> How much more straightforward can that get? Right? I mean, it says refuse to associate with those who, what? Gossip. The Bible is telling you and me that we should not associate with those who gossip, even if they're Christians, even if they're Christ followers. There's no distinction that's made there, right? Take a look at Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. That is speaking of gossip. Gossip is like a wildfire, isn't it, on a windy day? It can rage out of control, can't it? And lastly, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lip is pr flips is prudent. This isn't talking, by the way, Cynthia and I saw this uh, the other day, a church that had something like this on their you know, moniker there outside, and basically it said it wrong because it said that you should always be quiet. That's not what this is saying. This is speaking specifically of gossip, that when we hear it, we should be silent. Or even better, when we hear it, we should rebuke it. Man, gossip is destructive, is it not, in the life of a church? It can tear down a church, can't it? It can tear down a community. And so here's my suggestion. Here's my challenge. If you are here today and you ever have the opportunity to have information about someone else that you are tempted to share with someone else, okay, now get, get ready. This is complicated. I know. I realize this is hard and complicated. If you have information that you have in your mind that someone has told you about someone else that you are tempted to share with someone else, get ready. Here we go. Don't do it. Just don't share that information. It is not the other person's business. And if you hear it, my challenge to those of you who are Christ followers is rebuke that. And tell the person that's sharing that they shouldn't be doing that. That, that is none of their business. Okay, I'm off my soapbox on that one. An indicator of being all in is that we have unity. Listen, we, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. It is very difficult to worship God together when all we're focused on is the business and the affairs of other people. Are you with me today? Do you understand that that is a barrier? Your gossip or your carrying on gossip about someone else could potentially keep someone from accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Gossip has that much power. And now I'm really off my soapbox. Okay, being all in means that we're committed to being here regularly, to being people that promote unity. And then thirdly, worshiping God through regular and generous giving when we gather. You know the Bible, when it speaks of giving, speaks of it in terms of worshiping God. We don't just write a check. Man, God can provide the money without you and me. But when we give a portion of our income and the biblical minimum standard is 10%, when we do that, we are participating in worshiping God through the giving of a portion of our finances. And I realize that you don't like hearing about money in church but the Bible has more to say about money and possessions than anything else, and it is an act of worship. First of all, it's a command. Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says this. The prophet speaking to the Jewish people says, Will man rob God? 
Who wants to rob God? I don't think anyone wants to rob God. We don't want to find out what that's like. But he says this, you are robbing me. But when you say, how have we robbed you? And he says in your tithes and your contributions, you're holding back a portion from God. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you is robbing me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That's a place in the temple for the purpose of temple use. That is the church. That there may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to the test. This is the only place in scripture that God says, test me on. Test me on this. It's the only, it's the only thing. In fact, the Bible speaks explicitly of the fact that we shouldn't test God or tempt God. That we should only test him on this. He says, And therefore, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a, what's that next word? Blessing. Until you have no more, what? Need. See, God will take care of you if you obey his command. It's an if-then premise with a promise. The premise is is that we give 10%. The promise is, is that he will take care of our needs. And let me stop for a moment and say this. Those of you who already are tithing, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for your gifts. You're not giving it to me. You're not giving it to Hilton Head Island Community Church. You are giving it to the bride of Christ, his church. You're giving it to expand the kingdom of God. And because you are, I know that God is blessing you and he's taking care of your needs. 1 Corinthians, lest you think it was an Old Testament thing, says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Secondly, giving brings joy and reward. We already saw the reward, but the Apostle Paul speaks of the joy in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a what? Cheerful giver. You see, there's joy in giving. And those of you who do tithe and those of you who do give, you experience the joy of giving. You experience the joy of worshiping God with a portion of what he has given to you. And lastly, giving allows Hilton Head Island Community Church to accomplish our mission. And Malachi talks about how we should give it to the storehouse The Apostle Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 16.1. He says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, that's the believers in the church, as I directed the churches of Galatia, you also are to do. It is definitely an Old Testament principle and a New Testament principle. There's a group of people out there that say it was just for the Old Testament. It's not true. It's not true. And I want you to know, those of you who give tithes and offerings to Hilton Head Island Community Church, we use those to do the work of the ministry here in our community and also around the world. In our next message series, you're going to be hearing how we are able to give our missionaries a tremendous gifts and tremendous gifts throughout the year so that the gospel is spread not just here locally, but globally. And because of your faithful giving, we have the opportunity to do that. But, but, as many of you have noticed, it's down. It's down tremendously. In fact, our, our, our um, uh, need, our weekly need is uh, just a little bit under $15,000. And we're not coming just a little bit under that. We're coming four, three dollars to $4,000 each and every week under that. There's definitely been a huge drop-off. 
In fact, uh, if, uh, they were giving me the stats the other day, and we figured out that per person per week, it's dropped, dropped $10 per person per week over the last year. And this isn't a rebuke. Please don't, don't hear me on that. I, I understand what it's like to, to be convicted on this and to change and have a change of heart on this. And many of you know my testimony on this issue, and I'll tell it sometime when we have a series all on giving. But listen, listen, your church needs you. It's not just for you to receive the reward. It's not just for you to receive the joy. Your church uses that and uses it wisely. We have a stewardship team that watches every penny, every penny. But you can't expect 20% of the people to do 80% of the work in terms of giving. And so don't fall into the temptation to think that your money doesn't count. Whether it's $20 every week or whether it's $200 or $2,000 every week, your money counts. And God is pleased and you worship him when you give your church money. Are you a consumer? Or are you an investor at Hilton Head Island Community Church? That's the question. Are you a consumer? Do you just take, 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 take? Like you come in, they're like, you're like, they got great coffee. I'm going to go have a cup of coffee. I'm going to sit in the seat. I'm going to be a part. I'm going to be a part of the life groups. We're kicking off life groups next, next week, but I'm not going to give. That's a consumer mentality. And we can have that with other things, but God, Christ follower, God calls us to something greater. He calls you and I to be investors. And I want to challenge you, if you're all in, be an investor. We have an interesting phenomenon in this island that Cynthia and I um, didn't know that we were going to experience. There is a great distinction between North End and South End, isn't there? And we talk about that. Here we have like 12 miles of a main road, and there's a North End and a South End. If you've ever lived in a large city, this seems ridiculous, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, I've bought into this too. Like, I have my Starbucks. Don't you? I mean, you have your gym you go to, right? The kids have our McDonald's. Dad, our McDonald's, because we live on the North End. So God forbid that we go to the South End McDonald's, unless, of course, we're already on the South End. 12 miles, and we have ours and yours and theirs and this, that, and the other. And that's fine, because that's our culture. But you know, when it comes to church, if you're going to be all in, this needs to be your church. I understand it's God's church, but it needs to become your church. And so my lasting question for you today is when it comes to corporate worship, is Hilton Head Island Community Church that church, or is it your church? Are you all in? The apostles in Acts 2 began by saying they devoted themselves. We have a misunderstanding of that word devoted, don't we? I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. Devoted was like in every love song in the 1980s, right? This codependent, crazy 1980s, that's what we produced in rock and roll and, and in our love songs in the 1980s. That is not what he's talking about. That is a, a, a sad definition of the word devoted. The word devoted literally means two things. Number one, it means to belong. And you know what else it means in the original language? It means to literally be a part of. What all in means in terms of worship is that you're here regularly, that you're unified around the common denominator of our mission, and that you're giving on a regular basis. Are you all in?
Are you truly devoted to Christ and his church? Father God, thank you so much for all that you're doing in the, in the life of Hilton Head Island Community Church. And God, I pray for those who have maybe been here for some time, or maybe this is their first Sunday here. Um, God, I, I just pray that, uh, that you would help draw those who desire for this to be their church. God, I pray that you would help draw them to the place that they can call it their church. That it moves from being that church to a point that they can say, hey, this is my church. This is my church, a place that I'm proud of, I'm excited about. And God, I pray that you would stir us to a different level of passion and a different level of commitment. And God, we can't understand what that group of people who first started that church in the middle of the first century, we can't imagine their passion and their commitment. It was a different day. It was a different culture. They dealt with different things. But God, we can ask you and we can beseech you and we can rely on you to just give us a glimpse in our own lives of being committed and being passionate to your bride, the church. Because God, when we do that, we're not just committed to an organization. We're not just committed to a group of people who are leaders at this church. We are committed to you. And God, by being committed, we are making a declaration that we are following you. We are declaring that we are yours. And we are declaring that we give you praise and glory for the work that you're doing. Help us to understand that all in, in terms of worship, means that we understand that we are declaring you are God. And we now give you praise for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.